This is CliffCentral.com. On another Thursday afternoon, in fact, the final Thursday for 2015, uh, that I will be hanging out with you uh, between 1 and 2 o'clock. Hello, I'm Mabale Moloy. It's great to be back with you right here on cliffcentral.com. As always, if you'd like to be a part of the conversation, you can give us a call 0861 If you happen to be on WeChat, then send your messages through to the Cliff Central account, official account on WeChat, or you can just tweet me. That's okay. There's multiple ways for us to communicate. So don't be shy. Uh, get involved. Listen, I'm very excited because, as I said, it is the last show of the year for me um, here with you. And, um, well, not forever and ever. I mean, just for 2015. Um, so, you know, I thought uh, I'm, I'm, I am I want to make it, you know, I want to make it fun. I want to make it exciting. I want to, you know, to, to keep it um, conversational, as, as is the case usually on a Thursday afternoon with you and I. And I am very excited to be joined by my first guest this afternoon. Firstly, though, let me tell you about what's going to be happening in the second hour of the show. And when I mentioned this conversation here in the office with um, with Cliff Central in our studio, um, I saw how topical this this uh, this issue that I raised became, and a lot of people, in fact, almost everybody, had an opinion to share on this issue. And so I've gone onto Twitter and I've asked a question, ladies: Have you or would you ever consider donating your eggs? And apparently uh, there is a huge international scam plaguing the industry of donating your eggs. You might be more familiar with uh, sperm sperm donation, you know, when men go in and they give of their seed. And uh, so I'm just wondering, you as a woman, have you ever uh, donated your eggs? Is this something that you would ever consider? And so this is the conversation that we're going to be having in the second hour and the second hour of the show. That would be just after half past one. But for now, I'm very excited to be joined by a lady who and her and I have just been talking now before before uh, we started this conversation about slight memories that we might have of each other growing up because she is a fellow Gwagwa local Gwagwa resident. Her name is Matsimudise. She is the MD of Simudisa. She is also the former national executive director at the South African uh, Black Entrepreneurs Forum. Matsi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Hi. And, and I see that you are, you've been a very busy woman in the last week or so. You've been doing the rounds, going around mm. to different radio stations, just mm-hmm. sharing your story and talking about entrepreneurship, which, you know, um, seems to be, well, has been for a while, I guess, the hot mm. topic of conversation. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's part and parcel of um, our growth as a nation. It's part and parcel as of where South Africa should be going. We need to have more entrepreneurs. We have to celebrate those who've made it, celebrate those who failed, um, because entrepreneurship has to contribute towards the economy. I mean, you can see now that things aren't going too well and <laughs> small businesses are key and crucial. And at this point in time, we have to find means and ways of supporting those who tried, those who took the risks. Okay, so why don't you begin by telling us about Simudisa, you're the MD, and just tell us exactly what your work you do and what it entails. Simudisa, it's an industry association, essentially in South Africa to create an enabling environment for entrepreneurs. And in this environment, we call it an ecosystem. So it's essentially a community because everybody has a role to play. The government, um, institutions of higher learning, um, accelerators, incubators, funders. And in the middle of it all, it's the entrepreneurs. So everybody needs to kind of talk and work together so that entrepreneurs are able to grow, are able to be sustainable, are able to employ more people and contribute towards the economy. So Simodisa as an 
an industry association, we support small businesses. We interact with everybody in the ecosystem, whether it's the funders, institutions of higher learning. We're in partnership with uh, First National Bank as our big anchor partner. And we work with the Department of Science and Technology, the Technology Innovation Agency, and various other incubators and, and accelerators in South Africa. So it's about how do we work as a collective? Because if you had to look globally, South Africa doesn't even feature in the top 20 startup ecosystems. You know, we've got San Francisco, which is a top ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, all the, the big, um, you know, entrepreneurs coming out of Silicon Valley. Yes. There's yes. a reason why that happens because everybody, everything works. People are investing in startups. They're not scared and worried about their risk because they know that once upon a time, Uber was just an idea mm. and somebody seeded that idea and somebody now is making a lot of money. Right. So in South Africa, we still don't have, we, there's still a lot of gaps. You know, people are not taking the risks in entrepreneurs. So it's a function of how do we work with the government and everybody else involved and entrepreneurs to ensure that we have an enabling ecosystem similar to those um, overseas. So how long has Simudisa then been up and running and catering to entrepreneurs through the services that you offer? Were you there right from the very beginning? No. So my surname is Mudise, right? Yes. And people think <laughs> Simudisa must be from myself. It's not. You okay. know, I've only joined them um, first of June this year. Before that, I was running the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum. So um, Simudisa has been around for two years. Okay. And for two years, it's done phenomenally because it's for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. The man who founded Simudisa is Peter de Villiers. Um, he's my chairman and he's a optometrist by training. Um, and essentially he is a Cape startup, um, and went to one of these startup functions that, you know, entrepreneurs tend to go to the startup, the startup weekend. And that's where he got his first seed capital. And over the past 12 years, he's kind of scaled globally because now he's working out of um, San Francisco and he's come back to, to South Africa to, you know, with his family because he's starting units on the continent. But he's somebody that started a business in South Africa and is able to scale it globally. Mm. And essentially as my chairman, he traveled a certain journey and thought, why don't I start a, um, an industry association that's going to ensure that the challenges I had, not a lot of entrepreneurs should, should you know, go through the same challenges. So how do we engage with the government? How do we do um, set uh, policy recommendations? How do we review policy? How do we engage with the various departments that are key to developing small businesses? So that's what Simodisa does. So we do a lot of advocacy work with the DTI, Department of Science and Technology, Small Business Ministry. We do a lot of research. So we have publications. Um, you know, we have on an annual basis, we'll release some kind of startup index or startup report. And then also we host um, annual conferences. This mm. year we had the Big Leader X conference. Last year we had um, the Startup South Africa conference in Cape Town. And every Thursday, third Thursday in Johannesburg, we have Startup Thursdays. And there we hosted at our offices in Santon at Alpha Code, which is a fintech hub. And there we would have, you know, um, the last two um, Startup Thursdays we hosted. The first one we had the Dragons from the Dragons Den oh, on a panel. Yes. yes. Now, are these, sorry, because there was, the, there's a South African version as well. Right. Are, are yes. you are you talking about the guys from the South African show yes. that? Okay. All right. That's so Gilovid, yeah, Vusi Tembakwayo, and Polo Radeve. So, so you we had, had those guys. You had those guys coming. That 
must have been exciting. It's I'm, always I mean, exciting. Yeah. All our startup Thursdays, every th- Thursday, hosted uh, here in Johannesburg, are always fun. You know, the next one is going to be, um, we're going to host, um, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but, you know, t- key and top entrepreneurs that have done very well in the, um, you know, restauranteering um, um, environment. So every month is a hot topic. You know, the last topic was on technology entrepreneurs. We have a young man called Melvin Lubega from Go One. He's one of the panelists, young black 26 year old who's operating in 20 countries. Mm. So it's about how do we profile and celebrate entrepreneurs that are not heard of, but they're doing phenomenally well. Now, you mentioned that as South Africans, we don't even feature in the top 20 ecosystems in the world. But I'm wondering how we fare with the rest of the continent. Do you have that information available to us in terms of who's really kicking butt on the continent when it comes to entrepreneurship? During Global Entrepreneurship Week last month um, in November, um, there was a global um, startup index that was released and South Africa was number one in terms of ecosystems in Africa. Okay. So we are doing very well, but then there are... Kenya is doing very, very well as well. You know, there's a lot of um, technology that's coming out, mm. you know, with African solutions for global problems, not just African solutions for African problems. So um, it also has a thriving ecosystem. The government is really, really supporting um, entrepreneurship. You heard in um, mid this year, Obama was in Kenya for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit, mm. um, you know, so... Obama and the global entrepreneurship community do really support entrepreneurship and also Kenya is really, really supporting entrepreneurship. South Africa is not doing too badly. I think we're doing pretty well, Yeah. but it's a function of how do we consolidate our efforts so that we can have greater impact. Now, you say that there's a lot of fear from South Africans when it comes to maybe the concept of starting a small business or a medium enterprise. Where is that fear coming from in, in your experience? It's a fear of the unknown. Okay. Right. I mean, I'm from, you know, Gwagwa in the free state. Yes, we're going to get into that. We're going to get <laughs> into that in just a minute. I'm from Gwagwa and, you know, I have an entrepreneurial family. Granny, who's 82 years old, is still selling beauty products. You know, she wakes up in the morning, wears her red lipsticks and she goes to collect her money okay. or goes to deliver her products. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment, so it was easy for me to see it. But for a lot of people, you know, your mom is a teacher, your dad is a doctor and there's nothing entrepreneurial about it. Mother gets money on, I don't know what day teachers get money in you know, as salaries and doctors. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's what you see. That's what you're exposed to. So now when I, you are graduate because you all your life, your parents have been encouraging you to be a lawyer or a banker or any of that yes. stuff. And then the next thing is go try, find a job. But in South Africa, now jobs are limited. So let, let me interrupt you then, Mads. Is, does that make a very big difference? The fact that in one household, you've got a child growing up whose parents are basically saying to them, you need to go and get an education so that you can end up working for somebody else mm. versus somebody who grows up seeing you need to get to a point where you can be your own boss and oh. be self-employed. Is, is that the difference sometimes between the, the real entrepreneurs and those mm. who go on to become really successful versus the others who are maybe not so successful? It's my personal reference. You know, I can only speak from experience. So I saw that I grew up in two parents, mom, entrepreneurial, father, doctor. Okay. You know, so dad was, when I quit my banking job um, six years ago, he was like, what the hell are you doing? You're working <laughs> one of the key premium banks and you're quitting your job. Yeah. Mom was like, no. You doing, you're on the right path. My child, I can see that you're well on your way to success because I'm quite entrepreneurial and understand what you're going through because I went through it myself. Mm. So growing in a family where I actually tended more towards entrepreneurial route, I saw how it worked for my mother. You know, one day she has money, one day she doesn't have money, but I saw that how fulfilled she was. Um, Dad, you know, he's 
nearly retiring. He should have retired by now, but he feels he still needs to buy his Mercedes Benz. So he'll work for another five years. Right. And mom, she's somebody where, you know, she's had her Mercedes Benz when she was, you know, in business and, and doing it herself. So mm. it's a function of, yes, you are better, um, you know, you are, if you're more exposed to being an, in an entrepreneurial environment, you probably know the challenges. You also know the upside of being in it and you'll probably do it. But if you've never been exposed to it, it's difficult because you don't have reference to it. So yeah. it's the fear of the unknown. So when you were growing up as, as a child, young mm-hmm. child, and uh, we also went to the same primary school, yes. Sentinel Primary. Yes. Um, w- did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up or did it flip flop and change and were there different turns that you took along the path? Because, you know, there's also this, I mean, I think we've moved away from this idea that um, you need to know exactly what you, what you want to do and stick mm. with it. I think a lot of a lot of us sometimes, you know, we 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 get off the route a little mm. bit, and you're like, mm. no, actually, this is what I enjoy. Yeah. So that idea of becoming a psychologist is just going to have to take a back seat. And for you, did you always know what you wanted to do well, when you grew up? You know, they ask as the question, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Yeah. You know, I said I wanted to be a businesswoman. I don't know why, but that's kind of the answer that's been consistent. Mm. However, my dad wanted me to be a doctor, and I've always rejected that idea. You know, so he's <laughs> always very disappointed. Now he's quite happy because you know all sorts of magical things are happening because I chose to create my own path to build my own ladder. And you know, life has kind of taken a different uh, tangent, but. You can't say you want to be something because you need to allow life to happen. Mm, you know, mm. when you kind of stick to your guns, you don't allow life to happen. But when you kind of say, I'm here, I'm existing, whoever is your greater being, take me to where I'm supposed to be. Life becomes fun. Mm. Mm. I mean, they, they like to use terms such as from humble beginnings in, in Kwakwa. You know, and, and I guess I, Dusty roads of Kwakwa. <laughs> the dusty roads of Kwakwa. And you know, look at how much she's overcome. And so let me get your sense of, or your experience of growing up in Kwakwa. You know, when mm. people say, oh, you know, there's this mad Simudisa, she's MD of Simudisa and she's really, really successful. Mm. And did you know that she comes from the very humble beginnings of Kwakwa? <laughs> I mean, is that something that you, that you, that you resonate with or do you think to yourself no man like i i i had a good i i grew up in a good a good environment i did grow up in a very good environment mm. i mean my mom and dad are both professionals so we grew up in a middle class family sentinel the school that you referred to was mm. a middle class um you know school for kids in guagua and then went to unisi girls in the free state which is a very good uh, public school and then went came to johannesburg with my mom and my my siblings and went to Parktown High School for Girls, and then I went to Vitz. So um, it was a fairly average uh, middle-class life. Yeah, you know, we didn't yeah. struggle. You know, we had parents that were able to put education as a priority. Whatever we needed, we got, not whatever we wanted. Mm. So we had very strict parents. Um, so humble in the sense that I, I consider myself a humble person still till this day. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see anything different to my life um, than that of somebody who's Above me or below me, you know, I just see myself as I'm like everybody else. You know, I've, I've been given parents, I've been given an upbringing which was conducive enough for me to dream, to think. You know, I knew that 
coming into a banking environment was too restrictive. I mean, the thought of just going into a bank from nine to five, mm. doing the same thing every day, making more people richer and you're becoming poorer and you come, <laughs> you're shoving yourself into the mm. rat race. That for me, I lost it for two years and I was like, this is it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm leaving this banking environment. I'm not going to quit this bank to go apply to another bank um, because my spirit needed to be somewhere else in a space that's more creative, that's open and an environment where I can build something because mm. when you go into a corporate environment, the whole structure is built for you. The yeah. systems are built for you. So I thrive in creating stuff in, you know, free environments. I hate being in an office. Even now that I'm an MD of an institution, it's tough for me to be at the office the whole day. You know, my team, I was like, guys, this is really five o'clock. I've been here since nine o'clock. <laughs> it's crazy. Too it's too long. So I was just going to ask if you feel, I, I mean, yes, it, it is an office environment, a nine to five, but mm. you, I mean, I'm sure you're enjoying it. Do you feel that your spirit is in the in the right place, at least for the time being, for the moment. Oh, well, I've been here for the past six years. For the past six years, I've had to, you know, I had to ensure that I have bread and butter, um, you know, on my table. Mm. I have food at the end of the day. I have fuel in my car to go from one meeting to another. And that has been so exciting. It's been a thrill and I thrive on that. You know, I thrive on my ability to provide for myself for the past six years is the security I need, not a corporate environment or corporate jobs. They have no security, guys. Everybody's trying to get rid of you. So if you can get yourself out of it soon, do it. Isn't it funny how if you look at our grandparents and our parents' generation, that was where the security was. If you get a job in the corporate world and you stay there for 40 years of your life, you'll be safe. But today, that environment is a completely different playing field. You just open the radio and hear how many jobs are being shedded. You just listen to the rate of unemployment. I was listening on my way here to a radio interview with Barclay saying that they might be shutting down their African um, you know, units. They mm. might keep this or they might get rid of those ones. So I don't see any security there. I see a lot of insecurity. I see a lot of you know decisions will be made at the top. And it will affect you at the bottom. Mm. And why do you want to be at somebody's disposal? Why do you want to be another number in an institution? Why can't you create your own world, your, your own environment, create your own ladder that others will climb one day? You know, create industries. That's what young South Africans, you have the opportunity because we're 20 years into democracy. Things are evolving. We need to build this country. And you have to be part of the building, not just come in and come in with a briefcase in the morning and get out in the, in the, in the evening or afternoon. You must build it. You have the ability to do it. You have the opportunity. You're young, you're black, you're gifted. The whole world is just waiting for you. But a, a lot of the time, you know, people who feel, who come from said humble beginnings, you know, mm -hmm. some, uh, look, let's, <clears throat> realistically speaking, there are a lot of, um, corners of South Africa where, you know, a lot of children are growing up in the kind of environment that doesn't put them on an equal footing with, you know, children who do have access to mm. opportunities. And so when somebody, a young person is sitting there listening to you now saying there are opportunities and you must go out there and grab them and they're thinking to, mm. to themselves, but I don't even know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what should we say to, mm -hmm. to young South Africans at this stage? It's interesting because Mabali, I'm also, I mean, I come from a small farming town in mm. the free state. Mm. You know, how, how small town can that get? And I had a friend that actually had the opportunity to travel with me home for a weekend and saw where I come from. Yeah. And he had tears in his eyes. It's like, Matsi, you've done so well. You're doing this. You're traveling the world. You're representing South Africa on many platforms. But you come from this? I'm like, yes, this is where I come this from. Is home. And I'm so <laughs> proud of it yeah. because every time I go home, I'm so at peace. 
you know, because the simplicity of home is just what you need sometimes. But just to illustrate that you don't have to come from the city of lights to make it big. Mm. You know, I remember when I just finished university and I was driving, I was, I didn't have a car. You know, I had to take the bus home. And then when I drove back in the bus to into Johannesburg, you know, I told myself, I'm going to run the city one day. So plant that seed. That supersedes where you are because at that point in time, I didn't have any, I didn't have a job. I think I was just about to start my internship at, at Investec, which is the, the banking um, environment that I, the banking opportunity that I had, but I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I just, you know, qualified. I got my, 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 my university degree and that's all that I had. And I just told myself that I am going to run the city. I don't know what that means, but I just had this bigger vision for myself besides where I was. It's not nice being in a bus or a taxi or taking public transportation, but we've all had to go through there. Mm, you know, mm. All of this didn't just arrive. It comes from somewhere, but it comes from that seed you plant yourself. Not anybody, not Matsi, not Mabale. I mean, we are all on our own journeys. Create your own journey, but plant that seed that will grow. But it has to be a positive seed. It has to be around positivity, positive people that will actually help you build it. So share with us some of your more memorable experiences from traveling all over the world. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, a girl from a small farming community and mm. now all of a sudden you're traveling to all sorts of places. I imagine the U.S., Europe, mm. all over. I mean, wh- what were some of your more memorable experiences and also um, some of the places that had the biggest impact on you in mm. terms of, you know, what you were thinking, what should come next for mm. your life? The one particular moment was last year when I was in Switzerland and we had the opportunity to um, drive out into France because it's literally on the border of France. And we went into the French Alps and um, it was still summer in Europe, but, you know, the, the, the Swiss Alps are most of the time snow capped. So there's always snow. Yeah. So I remember that hike and then opposite our hike, it's a great Mont Blanc mountain. You know, where all the rich and famous people go skiing in the, in the winter. And I was climbing up this mountain. I was kind of, my group had kind of left me and I had a moment to myself and I just looked into the snow capped mountain that, you know, the world reveres. And I was like, I did it by myself. Mm. You know, I didn't need any person or any man to take me to this point in my life. Yes. <laughs> I got here and it's like you had the whole, there's a very self, there's an emotional moment that I had to myself and I was kind of playing some very emotional music as well. So yeah. it was quite a moment. It was like a, mo- a movie, a, just, a scene out of a movie perhaps. I was like, you know, and I just looked at this beautiful mountain and I just snowed, it was white and I was just stood there by myself and I had a moment to reflect. So that was quite a good personal, um, you know, moment. And then I remember just um well recently I had the opportunity to sit on a panel mm. with the, the co-founder of Starbucks Zevzigel and uh, Natasha Sideri is the founder of Natasha's you know yes, Natasha's yes, the famous uh, the food, restaurant the food chain yeah so I was sitting on a panel with these two great entrepreneurs and I was like what the hell am I doing here you know <laughs> I have a lot of those moments because you know I've, I've been able to um, engage um, on a on an intellectual level the world's greatest you know CEO of Goldman Sachs Africa Ashish Taka Mara, found, Mara Group founder who works with Bob Diamond former um, chairperson of uh, Barclays International so I've had those wonderful opportunities and a lot of times I'm just like, what am I doing here? You <laughs> How know, did this you're amongst greatness. Yeah. So I had to come to a point where I was like, you know, I belong here. You know, now I have to claim what has been given to me. Absolutely. With a lot of humility, however, because I feel like if I was to, a lot of people would meet me like in the streets and 
if they don't know me, they don't know me. But if they knew who I am and what I do, they were like, wow, gobsmacked. And I'm like, why are you behaving like that? Because I'm just a normal person at the end of the day. And I like that. And I, that's how I want to keep my life. Now, let's talk more about uh, these panels that you seem to be mm. all over. Because now, <laughs> now in 2016, January, I mean, this is, this is quite a big deal. You've been titled um, one of the top 50 global shapers in business and entrepreneurship. So you, you're going to be joining the top 50 people in your field and you're all going to go to Switzerland in January. Mm. Uh, tell us how, what this is about and what exactly you're going to be doing in Switzerland. Mm. So I'm going to the World Economic Forum Davos Conference. Yeah. So anybody that knows the World Economic Forum, it's like the Oscars of business <laughs> and civil society and the, and the public sector. It's the you big know. leagues. It's the big leagues. It's head of states go there. I'll be traveling with, you know, a sev- several cabinet ministers, including Minister of Finance. The current one. <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry, that would be that would be Pravin, Pravin Pravin Gordon. Gordon. Yes, that would be him. <laughs> when I had a briefing two weeks ago, it was Ntlan Tlanene, yes. so. <laughs> But <laughs> now I'm happy to know we're traveling with Pravin yeah. and the minister. I mean, the president himself and and a lot of business people, like CEOs of Investech. So wow. Stephen, my former CEO, I'll be traveling with him to go to this global arena. So uh, um, so there, um, you know, the World Economic Forum is a community mm. of people in business, in government, and and civil society. And essentially it's about how do we change the state of the world? So they discuss a lot of matters around, you know, global issues, um, around technology. And the theme for, 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 for this Davos conference is the fourth industrialization. So there, I mean, I'm part of the 50 young people. Because, I mean, there are a lot of people that could have gone, but they only selected 50 people, 50 young people um, below the age of 30. Well, so you guys were handpicked. You were handpicked. I mean, so you have to be some kind of extraordinary individual to have qualified to be a part of this 50 group. You, you know, must be doing interesting things you, with your life. You must be doing something <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm going to be part of, um, you know, it's only 50 young people that are allowed there, but then um, amongst the people that will be there, like I said, it's heads of states, you know, people in business. Um, you would find the Oprah Winfrey's, uh, um, the Pharrell Williams, um, the, you know, um, um, Bono, um, all these celebrities yeah. would also be there because that kind of makes it very interesting. We all look forward to going to Davos, a small little ski town in um, village in, in, in Switzerland, very small, but it's kind of where the world's leaders meet and talk about how do we change the state of the world. But I mean, you're also going to be rubbing shoulders with the real big business giants of the world, you know, people like Bill, Bill Gates, Gates and yep. Warren Buffett. Yep. Will you get to interact with any sure. of these people on a one-on-one basis? Uh, Will you get to to share some airtime with them and ask them questions? Yeah, I mean, everybody that's there is very selected. So everybody feels like, okay, you do belong to the table. They don't feel like security, I have somebody bothering me here. It's like, <laughs> we all kind of deemed You're as... You're all VIP. We all v- It's a very VIP environment. So we have heard people, like my young peers that have been there saying, you know, sitting in a thing and there's Will I Am, you know, and they'll go up to Will I Am and say, hi, there is this person, there is that person. So it's going to be fun. I'm like so excited. So when did you find out? When were you told that you've been selected and did you completely lose your mind when I you did. found out? <laughs> you know, I don't get excited 
over a lot of things, but mm. in my life, there's this one time where I'm, I just said, Mati, pat on your back. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> there's the one time you should just jump for joy, do a little, you know, kick on the side yeah, and, yeah. and get excited. So I was very, very thrilled, you know, because it's a very, it's a highly competitive environment. Everybody applies, but a few are selected. And also when you're there, um, not all the 50 young global, um, shapers are going to have an opportunity to speak. So now we're waiting in t- anticipation to see which panels and which of the young people are actually going to be on those panels. So, um, I'm doing my little homework in the background to ensure that I get to sit on one of the key panels. <laughs> now, this is quite some way to start the new year for you. Absolutely. You know, not everybody gets to start January 2016 mm. by going to the World Economic Forum and yeah. then being in the company of the likes of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett mm-hmm. and Boforele and the rest of them. <laughs> so then, considering that you're going to be starting 2016 on such a high, mm-hmm. is that going to set the tone for you for 2016 to be even bigger than better? I mean, it, 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 it sounds to me like starting a year in that kind of way could mm. really give you the right energy to mm. really just focus on the year and to make mm. sure that big, great mm. things happen to you. Well, in your case, bigger and better because you've already done so <laughs> tremendously well. Well, you know, I'm one of those people that when it comes to my achievements, I'm quite numb. You know, there are a few of the things like where for me going to Davos was like, woo, you know, yeah. allow yourself to shake a bit. But a lot of the things I'm quite numb by because once you allow it not to numb you and it goes to the head, it, it just becomes, you know, horrible mm-hmm. and you become anxious and stuff. So I kind of take it in my strides. Okay. Um, You know, I'm very, very spiritual and I always believe that God wants nothing but the best for me. And I also tell God that God, listen, I want nothing but the best for me yeah. and the people that are in my life and the people that love me, the people that I love. So um. Um, it's all in my strides and it's also an opportunity to, you know, be more grateful and immerse myself into my spirituality because, um, like this year now, um, going to Cape Town for a couple of days. Um, it's a friend's wedding. That's why I have to go to Cape Town. Otherwise I really wouldn't have gone. It's going to be such a mad rush. <laughs> you do need but some time off. Literally though. three days in Cape Town. You know, I arrive the next day. It's a wedding. I come back first thing in the morning. I'm coming back to Johannesburg. I'm coming. Um, I'm going to see my parents in the next couple of days, but I want to be alone on that day. Mm. You know, on when, when it's the 31st, 30th, I just want to be alone. I just want to pray. I just want to, you know, just take a reflection on the year that's passed and also the year ahead. And also just to thank God for everything that he's done, you know. So I really need a lot of me time and just to reflect on what it is that I want for my life and just to be grateful for everything else I have. Definitely sounds like a plan. (laughs) Okay, so if somebody out there is listening and thinking to themselves, you know, I really want to get this business thing up and going Mm -hmm. in January next year and they're thinking maybe your... um, your organization is the right one to get in touch with. How can mm. people get get a hold of you guys? Okay, you can go to www.cmodisa.org mm. and we'd love for you to subscribe to our newsletter or database because then you get a sense of all the activities that we'll be doing, all the opportunities that we're giving to small businesses. Um, you also then have an opportunity to drop an email on info at cmodisa.org whereby you can ask a specific question. But uh, rest assured, we always providing opportunities for small businesses, whether it's a big problem or a small problem, we can connect you to the right people that can assist. She is the MD of Simudi Samad. Simudi say, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. It's a pleasure. Enjoy your Christmas break and the new thank year and you, good bye. luck in Switzerland. Thank you. Hanging, I'll keep hanging, you posted. Hanging out with the top dogs <laughs> of the business world. Yeah. Uh, good, good for you, girl. Thank you awesome. so much for joining us. Thanks. Sir. Okay. Stay with me. Mabalimuloe, cliffcentral.com. 
This is CliffCentral.com. CliffCentral.com with myself, Mabale Moloi, and welcome back. Just catching up with the MD of Simudisa earlier. Uh, that would be Matsimudise, who, wow, gets to go to the World Economic Forum in Switzerland next year. One of 50 people who were selected to do so. Uh, that would be young, uh, 50 young entrepreneurs um, in, in South Africa, and they get to travel with the likes of Minister Previn Gordon, who is now... Um, officially finance minister and going to be getting to rub, uh, rub shoulders with the likes of Warren Buffett, uh, Bill Gates and celebrities like Pharrell and them. So it's really quite an honor. And I'm so glad to have had the chance to catch up with Matsi. But I told you earlier about how I had asked the uh, question in the office about um, whether or not you would or whether you have. Uh, donated your eggs and whether or not this is something that you would consider. And, you know, um, for a man going to a sperm bank and, you know, donating his seed and that kind of thing. I mean, I think it's more standard and we're more used to that idea. But um, women donating their eggs is um, is a big, you know, it's it's big business, as I came to discover in South Africa. So I'm going to be talking uh, to a lady from Vainland Fertility Clinic. They're based in um, in the Western Cape. And we're going to find out more information about the process of egg donation and about the supposed scams that are plaguing this industry. Coming up next. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. When it comes to medical treatment, we all hope to make the right choices. But what if you no longer have a choice? Under the new Road Accident Benefit Scheme, you'll have no say when it comes to medical decisions. Not only will they decide what treatment is suitable, but they'll also dictate which practitioners to use. Surely that's not what we choose. This message was brought to you by the Law Society of the Northern Provinces. Go to truthaboutrabs.org and add your voice. This is cliffcentral.com. With myself, Mabale Muloy. Now, Lazan van Vaart is a psychologist as well as assisted reproduction uh, infertility counsellor at the Vainland uh, Fertility Facility in the Western Cape. Lazan, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for your time, Lazan. It's a pleasure. That's something that's really close to my heart to talk about. Okay, well, let me ask you then in terms of how prevalent it is among South African women to, you know, to donate their eggs. Is this something that is very uh, prevalent here at home or is it still fairly, um, you know, a, a bit isolated? I think it's very important to ask the question. Yes, there's still a lot of girls that donate in South Africa and it's wonderful that they're doing that because there's a lot of loving couples that are desperately waiting for donated eggs and in their infertility journey, but it must be done in the right, safe, legal, and ethical environment with full awareness of what they are doing. So I think it's very important that um, they know what they're doing, and that's why I feel so strongly about the counseling side of of donating eggs. All right, Lizanne, take us through the process of then what it actually entails. Um, to donate is the same process of what you're doing through if you're going through a normal IVF process where we stimulate your hormones to get more than one egg and then as soon as we can get that egg growing, sometimes it's up to 20 little eggs, 
Then they're doing aspiration where they put in a fine little needle into the ovaries where they distract the little eggs. And then we've frozen the eggs or if it's been a match with the donors to a couple that's waiting for them, then we fertilize them with that specific sperms of the couple. And then we've frozen the embryos and transferred it later on into the couple that's receiving that embryos. And that's in short the process. So then who would... Who would then be responsible for covering those costs if let's imagine that I decided I wanted to do- donate my eggs and so Okay, I think I think at this stage what we must there's a difference between donating here in South Africa and the illegal things that's happening in like in countries like in India, that's a different story. Okay. But in South Africa here, you know, the couple is paying for the whole process, but we're not allowed by law in South Africa to pay for donors. The only amount that they're getting, getting is 7,000 rand mm-hmm. for the cycle, and that's really reimbursed for the suffering that they're going through. So in South Africa, we've got a society that we call SUFREC. It's the South African Society of Reproductive Medicine and Gynecology and Endoscopy, and that has all the list of accredited uh, techniques and specific guidelines to egg donation, and there it's saying we're only allowed to pay 7,000 rand people that's donating it. So if you donate here, it's specific that's something that you want to do. It's something that you want to give to somebody. It's not for money that you're doing it. To your knowledge, Lizanne, uh, is this more or less the same process that you would find when um, a gentleman would go to a, for a you know a sperm bank to then donate his his sperm? Are they are they? Sperm, you know, no, sperm is much easier to to donate because you'd only give it to come to the clinic and bring bring into your sperm sample. And normally they, you know, we do do tests before that. And they also see a psychologist in this specific clinic to make sure that everything is fine. Because, you know, sometimes people struggle to handle the losses. You know, when they come to the age of 40, they will properly think about that genetic link of them would be properly around somewhere in the world. So we make 100% sure that they can, can cope with that. So that's very much the same as the donor ovus. But donor ovus, people that's donating over, going through the whole IVF process because we have to stimulate that it's more medical inconvenient process to compare to your sperm samples that's different, you know, because it's easy to, to bring in some sperm sample and, you know, we just store it and then we can mix it. Um, or match it with the couple that's waiting for that. But I mean, in terms of being compensated, you know, I've I've heard um, a, f- a friend of mine mention that um, you know she's no, she knows of male students who um, would go and donate sperm as a way of getting extra cash. So you know, when we talk about the fact yeah. that um, leg- but, legally, you know, there's only a, a, a limited amount of money that the woman is yeah. compensated for, yeah. are, are these the kind of uh, things that apply to the males as well? Yeah, I think um, from Suffolk, there's not specific guidelines that we needed to pay for sperm samples, but normally it's about 450 rand okay. up to 500 per sperm sample. So if they come and donate, you know, for 8 to 10 times and sometimes the 20, it can be ended up a lot of money in the end. But I think you must also make sure that that the people or the students that's coming to donate sperms are very much aware of their own infertility problems. So they're coming here to make sure that they're not ended up with HIV. They want to know what does their sperm test look like, you know, or what 
what's the results of their sperms. So they're much more aware. So if they come to the NATO, also it's not only for money. I think there is, you must always remember, there is students that's doing it for money. Yeah. I mean, 8,000 rand after two, 20 samples that you're giving is quite a lot of money for students and you have to pay your, you know, your bursaries and your studies and things. Then you, you can do something with that. But I think um, if we go from the point from the start where we make sure that it is not about money. That's something that you do donate for people that desperately want children. And and by this point, I want to say to you, you know, one out of three couples in Africa struggle before pregnant, and 50% of that couples, the male cause of infertility is 50%. So the male cause is a fast-growing one in, in Africa, and, and that's the one that's been definitely not have medication to cure it. It's a difficult one to control. Now, it, it, sounds, it sounds like quite a laborious process, um, donating mm-hmm. eggs. So how mm-hmm. long would a process like that last, uh, realistically speaking, from start to finish? You know, if you're a woman sitting there thinking it's to yourself, easy. this is something that I might like to, to do, mm-hmm. how long mm-hmm. does the entire process last? Yeah, it's, it's, if you know from the day that after we do, first we have to do the screening and see if they're medical, you know, um, quite well and we do blood tests for them and also psychological screening and then as soon as they start on the day one of the new cycle normally around about day 12 to 14 we do the aspiration of the pickup of the ova so it's it's two weeks normally um, for the process and under what circumstances by way of, of example would a woman be you know be turned away or you know would would she be told listen sorry you can't donate your eggs just give us some examples under which something I think if you like one of the um, students, you know that I work a lot with that donated in India had actually been poly- polycystic ovarian syndrome and they didn't know it and they sent her over to donate there. That's one of the things that we must make 100% sure. If you've got um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, you must be looking very carefully after that kind of patient because they can make much more eggs than a normal patient. And then also. I think from the psychological side, we make sure that they're not um, struggle with bipolar. If they haven't got quite severe mood disorders, that we can support them with that. If they do struggle with major depression. And then also schizophrenia is something that we definitely not worth considered to take on board. Um, And then... Yeah, and then we do find sometimes that young girls don't have enough eggs. You know, they already struggle. There would be a chance that they probably would struggle themselves to fall pregnant, and the medical doctors will pick that up, and then they then they won't go on board um, to the night here. Um, realistically speaking, is there a is there a set number of times in terms of how many how many times a woman can go in and donate her eggs? Do you yeah, guys yeah, put restrictions? <laughs> It's pretty controversial, but I think here yeah, definitely we make sure not more than three times. Okay. And sometimes if we do get enough eggs from the beginning, you know, if you know somebody donates and it's 20 eggs or, you know, then there's a lot of embryos for a couple, then they could work on that. So, but yeah, it depends on, but I think definitely not more than three times, you know. Um, and it also depends on the psychological status of your patient. And what happens if a woman decides that she wants to donate her eggs goes through the process, and once you guys have extracted the eggs, all of a sudden she changes her mind. How do you deal with a situation like that? Um, before we fertilize, you know, then they they have the chance to, to yeah, you know, they can come forward and say, I don't want to go forward with this anymore. So I think nobody can force people to do that. Um, so they always have the chance to 
to decide not to go ahead. But as soon as the eggs have been fertilized somewhere else, sperms and its embryos, then that embryos belong to the couples, not to the donor anymore. Um, it's only the donor eggs that's belonging to the donor at that stage. Does the donor have any right to request to uh, meet a child years after the fact when she remembers back to the to the one time that she did donate eggs? Um, is it well within her rights to track the couple down and to say to them, "Listen, I'd like to meet mm-hmm. her." I mean, does do you? Do, because that would create a potentially very grey area. Yeah, it's a grey area, and in South Africa, the law has been writing or um, telling us that you know we donate anonymous, so they do have rights in the sense of preference to who they want to donate and how much they want to donate, and they also may have the possibility to know how many pregnancies because they only. Have they had, had only six life births from their donations, excluded their own children. But, you know, it's anonymous, so you donate. Anonymous, so you won't be able to know. You can get a profile of the couple, but you won't be able to know um, the names of the couple at the moment as the lawyers. But there's also known donors in South Africa. Um, so um, that means when you're bringing your own known donor to donate for you, and that's different, it's different from your unknown donors. Lazana, I imagine that there are quite a number of people in this country still who might feel that morally, you know, this is something that they do not exactly agree with. Uh, but I mean, coming from the scientific background that you do and also with the understanding that egg donation is a legal process in South Africa, how do you counter, um, counteract the, the argument that, you know, y- you people are playing God, for example? You know, you'll find that, that those groups of people who say this is most unnatural. Yeah, I think it's 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 always the question. You know, you can't um, make a, a difference between the psychological, medical, and the you know more the spiritual side of people. And some of the people really do see it as playing as God. But I still believe, you know, and that's my personal view. Um, I'm, I'm not a spiritual doctor or a spiritual spiritual counselor, but I still believe. Often you see it regularly. As soon as you fertilize little eggs, the sperms. Um, the embryos, as soon as that little cell development is taking place, nobody else can do that for you. Um, there must be something else that that's create the further development of that. And I think if it's been meant to be to have that child, still there will be an outside factor, your God factor that's playing a role in that. But um, here, you know, if we create families as a psychologist and very much involved in family psychology, I think it's very important to understand family dynamics and you must be aware that you create create families here and you've been part of family that you create and it's it's something that you must take up seriously and we talk a lot to couples, we talk a lot to our donors that come to do this because they can come back and feel at the age of 40, you know, you know, why, why did I did it? You know, and they can be regret about this. So I think you must be make 100% sure that they could handle this and to be in the right position to, to handle the whole process. Okay, Lizanne, let's let's talk about these scams now that are creating, mm-hmm. you know, problems in the industry. Um, I came across an article on health24.com about a yes. woman from Stellenbosch who traveled to India to donate her eggs, but then ended up developing hyperstimulation. And I heard you mentioning India early on in our conversation. So yeah. how does one tell a scam from the real deal? What kind of warning signs should women look out for? What, what do we need to know? 
Yes, I think, you know, the youngsters, there's a lot of problems, you know, on Facebook and agents that's not been properly regulated and registered as agents. So it's people that's been donated in India and then get involved in some of the clinics and target some of these students on Facebook. And that's what specific happened to this girl in Stellenbosch. And she's very open about it and she talks about it and she wants to make a difference in it. But she's not the only girl. I'm seeing a regularly a lot of students that's going to India or in Nepal or even to Mexico or, you know, Thailand and all these other places. And they've been talking on Facebook. And um, I think the first thing is you must realize that if you go to India, I worked in India from 2006 to 2014. There's some good clinics and some bad clinics and really unethical things that's going on in India and as you know women rights is not so so much up in India so I think you must make 100% sure before you answer and decide that this is the trip that I'm going to do to India um, to do your homework first and contact some of the clinics in South Africa and ask what is the right thing to do. All right and then finally Lazan, um, if, if any anybody would like to get a hold of your fertility clinic how can they do so? Uh, website address um, how, how can they get a hold of you guys? Okay, we are not fertility in Stellenbosch, but the contact number is 021-882-8476 is one of the numbers. Um, I'm repeated, 021-882-8476, and the website is www.bainlandfertility.co.za, quite easy to get. And what? that's Bainland, you spell, it's a uh, Netherlands, a Dutch spelling, it's um, W-I-J-E. Land, well, Lazan, thank you very much for your insights and for okay. your time this afternoon. Thank you very much for talking to you. Have a nice evening. Thank you, you too. That's Lazan van Vart, a psychologist at Vainland uh, Fertility. Uh, based in Stellenbosch and it is just about that time for me to wrap it up uh, it's been good hanging out with you and as I mentioned that this is the last show of the you know of the Thursday edition between one o'clock and two and two o'clock for 2015 um, you can catch up on some of the more memorable shows in the next uh, coming weeks and then I'll be back with you again um, in January 2016 yes it's time uh, you have yourself a good a good day and enjoy the um, the rest of your afternoon This is cliffcentral.com.